everybody, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and today we're coming at you with another special episode. Now, normally, of course, we use the Netflix series The Crown as our main source of information, but today we will actually be discussing the Julian Gerald 2015 film of Royal Night Out, starring Sarah Gaddon, Belle Powley, Rupert Everett, Emily Watson, and Jack Rayner as Jack. In the words of IndieWire, A Royal Night Out is the type of movie the word delightful was made to describe. It makes for a fine diversion from the realities of life and history. The Guardian called it rockingly silly, and Vulture called it fan fiction that's better than it has any right to be. As always, I'm joined today by my two wonderful co-hosts. First, a man whose go-to move is the Lindy Hop, Mr. Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, uh, it's too bad that podcasting is not a visual medium because I'm sure the listening audience would kill to see your Lindy Hop. Uh, believe it or not, uh, I am trained in some basic swing lessons. Um, I, I, I've taken two rounds of like a Swing 100 series spaced a couple years apart, so I'm sure I could pick it up again very quickly. You know, I was <laughs> so like this movie was kind of like up and down for me, but Glenn Miller in the mood just brought me right back in. It's always it's a great swing tune. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah, it gets you in the mood. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Uh, also back with us once again, you can find this woman randomly walking through fountains from time to time. Uh, it's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, if you could walk through any fountain, which fountain would it be? Oh, no, I don't know the names of any fountains, but like I can visualize what the fountains look like. That like famous one in Rome that you throw all the pennies in. I really enjoyed that. The Trevi fountain. fountain. The Trevi, Trevi fountain. fountain. I yeah. like that fountain. That's a good fountain. What about, the fountain from, uh, the fount- <laughs> what about the fountain from Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain? What about the fountain from Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain? Oh, I would need to look up what that fountain looked like. It doesn't end well. Don't do oh, it. Oh, no. Yeah, the only <laughs> other fountains I know about are the fountains at um at my alma mater, USC. We had a lot of fountains. They They would fence them up so you couldn't get near them when it got near the end of the year. So I never got to go into a fountain. You just had to look and just hope that they were nice to go run in. Where I went to school in uh, in New York, there was a pretty big fountain in uh, Washington Square Park. People would often walk through that fountain. Nice. Yeah, it is a nice. I fountain. feel like they, yeah, they couldn't like they could put the fences around that fountain, but like it's also open to the New York public, and I'm sure they all go swimming in it all the time. Um, well, it's great to have you both back. I'm so excited to talk about this movie with both of you because it was just a wild uh, sensory overload for m- much of this movie. Before we begin. Um, as always, just want to say right off the bat, if you came here because you're curious, like which aspects of this movie are real, which aspects are not real, we don't really know. I did inadvertently kind of spoil for myself that while this is based on real events, the character of Jack is not real. So there is no real Jack. Um, that unfortunately was displayed too prominently on the Wikipedia page. So I did see that. So I do know that. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I spoiled myself as well. It was really hard to miss because there was just like a one or two sentence snippet on the Wikipedia page for the movie that just said, oh, yeah, Jack wasn't real. Neither were the two chauffeurs. Here's what really happened. And they just sum it up so succinctly that you're like, OK, yeah, <laughs> there we go. History lesson learned. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, we do know because they do like to push this out as like part of the allure of the movie that it is inspired by true events. So mm-hmm. at least part of this movie is, if not real, like inspired by something that actually happened. What that is, we don't know. World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> yes, World War Two. generally. Um, so... With that, let's dive in, and let's start, as we always do, with a recap of what this movie is all about. So, Ivan, uh, I believe you have a recap of this movie for us this week. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take a crack at it here. So, uh, this movie opens up uh, at the end of World War II. It's Victory in Europe Day, 1945. Uh, all of London is on the on the brink of a massive celebration uh, to commemorate the end of the war. Um, And Elizabeth and uh, Margaret, who at this point are teenagers, I think Elizabeth is probably like 
late teens, Margaret mid teens, they both want to join in on all of the fun and celebration. So uh, the movie opens with them trying to seek permission from the king and queen to go out that evening, join in on the festivities uh, among the people. Um, and eventually the king and queen uh, reluctantly agree with a couple of stipulations, namely that they would uh, have some chaperones in the form of some uh, military officers that will be uh, guiding them around um, as they make their way uh, uh, through London incognito to a uh, pa- uh, to a party at the Ritz Hotel, I believe. Um, they arrive and immediately they are met with a lot of disappointment. It's uh, very stuffy. Uh, the whole evening has kind of been planned out uh, for them to meet with some um, other uh, 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 members of, of nobility, um, folks that don't really seem like big party people. Um, so Elizabeth and Margaret start um, um, trying to kind of uh, uh, weasel away from the the stuffy uh, old people party. Um, and eventually uh, Margaret goes uh, missing. Well, she doesn't go missing. She, she meets uh, a potential suitor who kind of sweeps her off her feet. Uh, he promises to show her a good time and they uh, leave the Ritz, uh, which then prompts uh, Elizabeth to follow and find her sister. This leads to an evening of Elizabeth trying to hunt down the most recent locations that Margaret was seen at. Uh, we kind of get a couple of different locales where we um, experience uh, Margaret's um, uh, misadventures, followed by Elizabeth uh, trying to uh, you know investigate uh, and, and pick up Margaret's trail again, um, all while aided, uh, Elizabeth aided, uh, that is, uh, by an airman uh, by the name of Jack. Uh, who is sort of this uh, disillusioned, um, uh, you know, military uh, guy who you know he he is happy that the war is over, but he's also um, just very dismayed by all of the violence and bloodshed, and just you know wondering what it was all for. Um, he's not a big fan uh, of the king, who that evening is uh, delivering an address to commemorate the end of the war. Um, so you know, this eventually blossoms into I guess a love story between Jack and Elizabeth, even though through most of the movie, they don't really seem all that charmed uh, by each other. It isn't until really toward the end that that sparks start to fly a little bit more. Uh, but anyway, uh, eventually Elizabeth finds uh, Margaret uh, and, and, you know, we can talk about all the, the, the steps that uh, occurred along the way to get to that point, but uh, reunites with Margaret, uh, you know, they make it back home to, Buckingham Palace, um, uh, where uh, Jack and Elizabeth have uh, breakfast with uh, the king, um, and then uh, Jack needs to report back to a military base uh, in a very short uh, uh, time span, so Elizabeth offers to drive him there uh, post-haste. She drops him off. Uh, They share a secret kiss that is not to be discussed or referenced in future history ever again. Um, And she drives off and the movie ends with a cheesy ass freeze frame of Elizabeth smiling while driving out into the distance. Uh, That is a Royal Night Out. Thank you, Ivan. So before we begin diving into some of the specifics of the movie, I want to talk a little bit about director Julian Gerald. And if you know this already, don't spoil it for the other person. But um, I looked into Julian Jarrett a little bit, and he actually directed two season one Crown episodes. He's very entrenched in the, uh, I guess, film and television representation of the royal family. And so I'm wondering, based on what you saw in A Royal Night Out, can you guess perhaps which of the two season one Crown episodes Mr. Julian Jarrett directed? Oh, Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, Carlin, do you want to go first? Uh, oh my God. I can't remember what happened in all the episodes, nor do I try to think of what vibes. You should go first. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say that one of them is the episode where Elizabeth gets a tutor, and the other one. Oh, man. Uh, let's go with the smog episode. I, I, that's not a great guess, but I, I need to guess two of them. So those are my two. Ivan, you are one out of two. Oh um, my God. The correct one is season one, episode four, Act of God. It's an act oh. of God, Bobby. Oh my God. 
He, he directed no Act of God. Carlin, uh, can you guess the other one, perhaps? Uh, I, I honestly would have guessed, like, the Porchy episode. No, it was not that one. The other one was season one, episode six, Jellignite. This is Jellignite. Oh. Yeah. So wow. those were the two crown episodes from season one that Mr. Julian Gerald, BAFTA-nominated director, directed. Jellignite's wow. the one that starts kind of advancing the Margaret Peter storyline forward, right? Yes, they're they're caught in the news, and then you know Queen Elizabeth gets jealous, and it's interesting that he kind of directed the two episodes that they're kind of structured similarly, right? Where in the beginning there's like a montage of something happening out in the world, and then it kind of plays into the royal family. So that's interesting because that opens up so many questions for me about what this director thinks Princess Margaret was like. Because I feel like these were two (laughs) drastically different Margarets. Like, I get that she was, you know, younger, a bit more impressionable, a bit more immature than the woman that she would grow to become. But man, that, I mean, that's just, it's a night and day difference. Like this, I I feel like all of the characters in this movie uh, were meant to come off a little bit more cartoonish, like, in, in, mm-hmm. by design but with margaret they just like dialed it up to 11 she she was a looney tune <laughs> you can't yeah. imagine vanessa kirby ever saying this i'm completely cheesed <laughs> <laughs> i genuinely cannot not even vanessa kirby the actress it's so weird right because um i don't know how closely you follow bell powley but like She's been in a lot of things that I enjoyed. You know, she was in uh, The Morning Show. She was in White Boy Rick. I don't know if you either of you saw that movie with Matthew McConaughey. It wasn't the best movie, but I did think that her performance in that movie was pretty good. So I always find it interesting that, you know, I feel like the girl who played Queen uh, Queen Elizabeth in this movie never saw her again. Uh, Yeah, okay. I, I actually think I've seen her in in something sarah gadden but i i think we need to just uh immediately address the elephant in the room in that this was a canadian actress putting on like the most forced <laughs> elizabeth accent you could imagine like i i get that like when we watch claire foy as elizabeth the, the her mannerisms and the way she speaks are so unconventional to me um i mean and i know there's you know hundreds of different uh uh, british accents that that one can uh maintain but i feel like claire foy's interpretation was very rooted in reality like a Mm -hmm. heightened reality but nevertheless like still uh, plausible whereas what sarah gadden was doing here was just batshit yeah i mean honestly i thought that i don't remember what the actress's names are but I thought that Elizabeth and Margaret both sounded over the top. Like Margaret was the one that stood out to me as like, if I don't know if it was the accent or not, but that was the one that actually hit me more. I think I just thought that Sarah Gadden looked so right that I must have not been listening to her voice, but I fully believe what you're saying. Yeah. Well, so like with Belle Powley, like I think I can probably like forgive her more because she's english and i presume classically trained and 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 i'm sure there was some intention to what she was doing but with sarah gadden it's like yeah no she's from toronto like this is just her idea of what (laughs) elizabeth sounds like and she went with it you know in a movie they don't have all the resources that a television show would have they don't have you know weeks and weeks to uh get into character it's really just kind of you know you have that month you just got to go for it. Oh, they probably just have a really good dialect coach on the crown. You know, they got they got that Netflix money. Get the best guy there is. They definitely do. On the subject of the cast of this movie, let, let, let's just get this out of the way immediately. Um, where do we rank the Rupert Everett birdie against the other three that we have watched thus far? I did not even process him. <laughs> No, I mean, like, it's just so interesting that, like, you see the way they, like, decide what Birdie storyline is going to be relevant. And, like, I guess you can assume that, like, another speech would be the most relevant to Birdie at that moment. But it almost feels like they were like, um, what do we what do we know about uh, about uh, George here? What did he do? And then someone's like, oh, well, I watched the King's speech. I, I bet he made a speech and was nervous about it. And like, so it just kind of felt like a continuation of that, at least to me. I was like, okay, yeah. Um, where is he in his character development? Where's Where's Lionel? 
Well, so this this movie takes place like very shortly before the start of the crown, like that initial scene where where Philip, uh, uh, you know, renounces his like, you know, kind of foreign. What is it? Citizenships or, or whatever. And he inherits all the, the titles like it yeah. sounds like there's already some kind of correspondence between Elizabeth and Philip at this point. Like, yeah. it, you know, he they, he hasn't asked her to to marry him yet but it it seems to be trending in that direction and that was kind of what she was subtly alluding to in terms of already having some kind of romantic figure in her life for me this version of birdie i felt like he had you know the classic birdie endearing moment at the end of the movie like when he's uh you know when they're all having breakfast together um, which I feel like has become sort of a staple of like playing birdie is that you have to have at least some endearing quality for a time. Mm-hmm. But overall, we've we've seen four versions of birdie. This is probably number four out of four. Yeah, yeah. easily. I mean, this yeah. version of birdie makes the Samuel West Hyde Park on Hudson version like a tour de force performance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that version of Birdie had more to do. Like, this version of Birdie was weird because he was so obsessed with the way that he was received. Like, the only reason that he even lets them go out is so that they can go report firsthand on how his speech is received by the public audience. Yeah, but, like, I I get that he has less to do, but at the same time... The first time you see Jared Harris on screen or the first time you see Colin Firth on screen or even Samuel West, you're kind of like, OK, yeah, OK, yeah, this is this is the king of England. You see this guy and you're like, what? Who, what? <laughs> he just seemed like a normal guy. Yeah. He yeah. didn't have too much presence. Before we move on, because there's not too much more to say about him, um, as far as what else I know him from, um, he was Dr. Claw in the uh, live-action Inspector Gadget movie from 1999. Oh, wow. Wow, what an obscure reference. Um, isn't he the voice, is he the voice of Prince Charming in, in the Shrek, Shrek movies? Ab- Shrek 2 and 3, absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, which is just a weird thing to like dissociate because he's he he looks so old, you know, but he's playing the voice of like a young mm-hmm. person. Royalty. Can't Royalty. stay away from it. <laughs> in the same vein, before we before we move on, I think we can do the same exercise with uh the Queen Mother, played by Emily Watson. I remember one time in college. I was taking a, uh, it was like my last quarter and I needed to take some elective credits just to burn my way into the credit threshold that I needed to hit to graduate. And I'm like, oh, sexuality in Scandinavia. Like, let me, oh, that, that seems like an interesting class to take. So I took this class, which was like mostly movies. Like we mostly talked about like Scandinavian literature and how sexuality was represented within it. And I remember one time we were going to watch, uh, it might've even been like a Lars von Trur movie. And the professor of the class who didn't really know like much about like different, you know, recognizable like names of actors, actresses told us this movie that we're about to watch has Emma Watson in it. And we all like looked up. We're like, wait, what? Turns out it was Emily Watson. That's my tangent. <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Emily Watson's been in a lot of things. I don't think this was her best performance. Yeah. She was unrecognized. Like, I've seen Emily Watson in some other stuff. Like, I feel like they they made it really hard to even like pick out that it was her in this role. Yeah, she was also probably four out of four on my list of Queen Mothers. Yeah. Stiff, stiff competition on the Queen Mother side, though. Arguably stiffer competition than the Birdie ranking. Yeah, yeah, I agreed. definitely say so. This was such a weird combination of genres, right? Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like a teen movie, we just want to go out. And then you have these two bumbling military dudes who are kind <laughs> of just like literal cartoon character you, you said that margaret was a cartoon character i thought these two military guys who are assigned to watch them seemed more cartoony than margaret okay can we talk about <laughs> what the hell happened with those two because like 
they're introduced to us as like these like very like you know uptight we take our job seriously figures it sounds like it, it seemed like they were going to be the ones that were going to be chasing uh, uh you know the princesses around all night like trying to mm-hmm. you know retrieve them bring them back to buckingham palace like i was like 95 percent convinced that that was going to be the plot of this movie they very quickly abandoned their post <laughs> in favor of an orgy time for a quickie surely sir I mean, that took a turn. It truly did. And it was like, I was like, all right, let's see like where the the plot contrivances come in. And that was one where I was like, I almost wish they had just like chased them around. (laughs) Oh my God. They didn't like, there was no, um, no challenge for Margaret to get out. I was like waiting for like them to show their like wits and how they were going to like, you know, scheme to escape the Ritz. (laughs) It was like, they just walked out. Every scene that they're in is so bizarre. From the scene where they answer the phone so aggressively to Birdie himself (laughs) to the scene where they realize that the princesses are missing. And so they go out into the street and literally grab every woman and look them directly in the face (laughs) to see if that is perhaps Lizzie or Mags as they go go by in this movie. I like the idea that they only made it like 10 feet out of the building in like the hours that they were out. So we know like beyond a shadow of of a doubt, thanks to the Wikipedia snippet, that three characters in this movie were completely fictionalized. There's Jack, the love interest, and then these two chaperones. And it's really weird when you take like, you know, creative liberties to invent completely new characters in what is supposed to be like a historical fiction tale. I mean, Jack, like, yeah, we'll talk about him, you know, in, in a moment here. Uh, but, you know, it's like, OK, I, I, I get what his purpose in the story is. Like, I mean, it, it's pretty straightforward. These other two, like, it was just <laughs> confounding to me. Like, as soon as, like, you, you know, see the shot of them, like, still at the Ritz having that orgy, by the way. Like, <laughs> like in, in basically still in the backdrop of a party. This is not conventional storytelling. This it just completely threw me for a loop, and and then I thought that they were gonna like go even further with it, but it just sort of fizzled out from there. My favorite scene of them perhaps comes towards the end of the movie, and I guess spoiler, we're we're gonna hop around I think a little bit with this movie, but it's when they're trying to reach Jack's mother's house, and they've hailed a taxi, but Jack and uh, Lizzie and Mag or Jack is like wheelbarrowing Mags <laughs> along to the house and they're just riding along in the taxi and they're like we have a taxi <laughs> it's so weird you know that didn't that didn't really make sense I I guess it's because he just wanted to have like a, a shot of Mags in a wheelbarrow like who would walk Elizabeth wouldn't walk yeah let's talk about Jack I have a lot of questions about Jack but my primary question about Jack is why does he do anything? Why does he do any of this? Like, why is he helping this random girl who just keeps following him everywhere he goes? I just don't understand what the motivation for him is. So, like, my my biggest question, like, at the onset here is that, okay, so Jack is, you know, eventually revealed to us to be, you know, this guy who's very uh, disillusioned with his military service and what he did during the war and, uh, you know, what uh, the, the country has turned into. Despite that, we meet him on a bus in the middle of London during, like, the biggest party night of the century. <laughs> like, he he's just not having it. He doesn't want to be there or, or or maybe he does, but like in a very like I'm above this kind of way, it just seemed really weird that like someone who's just that much of a, a grumpy Gus like is he didn't just stay home that night. That is so true. They didn't even give him like a friend that like made him go out that night. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he he kind of like oscillated in between like, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want to be out. I don't want to be partying to like, okay, yeah, uh, I just met these two ladies. It's time for a threesome. Um, I had totally forgotten about those two ladies. Um, Yeah, Jack is uh, an interesting character because he's clearly suffering from some sort of like PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um, He had to basically hold his best friend's hand while he died and then... You know, he asked, I guess, his uh, commanding officer if he could have some time off to kind of deal with that um, trauma and basically got laughed at 
and told that, you know, he wasn't strong enough um, to be in the military and then just sent back to his job. Okay, so, ex- okay, explain this to me. And, like, I, I'm not super savvy when it comes to, like, military, like, terminology and, like, you know, how, how you take leaves and whatnot. But, okay, so initially it seemed like he had just gone, like, completely, like, MIA and just abandoned his post and, and you know, either walked off a base or, or battle or whatever and was just a deserter. But then we find out that like, oh, no, he just needs to be back by 830 next morning and everything will be good. Like, how how are both of those things true at the same time? You know, I think there was a plot point like that in um the musical Hair. So I, at least it's used in stories where like person has to get back to base at certain time and no one's in trouble about it for no clear reason. Was it maybe that he just couldn't leave the base? Why wouldn't he be able to leave the base on V-Day? What are they doing? <laughs> They're done. And all the other guys were out. I don't know. It was, it felt like a strange thing that came up very suddenly at the very end as like a weird almost excuse to be able to have that last kiss, which like, I don't know. What was weirder to me was like they go to the Chelsea barracks and it's like people are recognizing him. Like how recognizable is this guy, Jack? (laughs) This this like generic guy. They were just gossiping about him the entire night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he and if he had supposedly like abandoned his like post, then isn't there consequence to that? Is it like, all right, man, your ass is on the line now unless you come back next morning and then all's forgiven? I don't know. I don't understand what the larger like narrative reason for that, for that like being a stake in the story was. Go I, I will say like Jack was kind of an insufferable character, mm-hmm. but... Speaking, you know, once again of actors we recognize from other things, he's the older brother from Sing Street. I do love him in that role. I feel like at this point, his more noteworthy role is uh, the guy in Midsummer who is forced into the orgy. Oh, wow. Parallels. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Midsummer was, a, was a, uh, quite a ride. I saw that. That was one of, I guess not the last, but I saw that movie in a theater and it was just quite a... Uh, Remember when we can go to theaters? It's yeah. just quite an experience. I've actually what was never the last seen movie it. You, what was the last movie you all saw in the theater? So was it Midsummer for you, Sam? No, Midsummer came out in 2019. I mean, if you give me a second, I can look it up for you because I was an AMC Stubbs A-list member. Oh, that means I think you get prioritized for the vaccine. Okay, but straight up, mine was um a Call of the Wild or like the call like the the um Harrison Ford version because I too am an AMC Stubbs list like member and so I was just using my trying to get as many movies in as possible just like for my MO for normal times and that was the last one I saw. Uh the last movie I saw, which was at a locally operated independent art house theater, mind <laughs> you, uh was Emma. Uh and oh, nice. it was like at the time when we were like already kind of uh should we be doing this? Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the movie, we were like, no regrets. That was fantastic. I did see Emma in theaters. That was nice. That did not get any Oscar nominations. Or did it? Did not get any acting. I, yeah, I don't think so, which, which is just complete BS because everybody in that movie was great. I know. But I digress. Um, <laughs> yeah, Jack, real, real piece of shit. <laughs> no, truly, like... Okay, look, he's cute, but that was like pretty much his only redeemable quality. And then the other problem was, but he still got so much characterization. And I was expecting this movie to give that to Lizzie because like this is before she had to become like the crown. So I was like, oh, wow, they're going to use this opportunity to show us what kind of a person she is. But then she like she didn't get development, which I I mean, like she kind of did a little bit. Like, I guess we got to learn a little bit more about her like military service. But I was just kind of frustrated by that. Like, is anyone going to give me a really in-depth character piece on who Elizabeth is as a person? And I guess the answer is no. No one's going right. to do it for me. Yeah, exactly. Because like we, it, it was kind of really beaten over the head in the crown that like once she became the queen, she was no longer Elizabeth. Like that person has died. She's now the monarch, blah, blah, blah. So like, yes, absolutely. I want to see a movie that really gets into the heart of who Elizabeth was before she ascended to the throne. And what better period to capture than like her teenage years, especially, you know, uh, during the war, especially when she was performing like that military service. Um, Mm -hmm. Like it it, it was just the, the perfect, like 
the perfect tapestry to be able to like tell that tale. A- and they gave us nothing. Like mm-hmm. they gave us next to noth- nothing, but it might as well have been nothing. Catch me a, I'm going to do a Elizabeth biopic and it's going to be about her military service and it's going to be real character heavy. Mark my words. I have no authority to just, be doing this, but I'll do it. Just don't cast Sarah Gaddon. I guess not. Get a, get a real Brit. I'm having real difficulty figuring out what the last movie I saw was. <laughs> I know I saw the photograph, but I feel like I saw a movie after the photograph because we went to see the photograph on Valentine's Day. Did you see Portrait of a Lady on Fire? That kind of came out right before COVID started. Oh, I no, saw I didn't Portrait see of a Lady that one. on Fire. It was real good. Yeah, I I'm remember to, like... Did I see Jojo Rabbit after I saw... Why would oh, you that see Jojo Rabbit well that before. late? Did yeah, you that see was, the that Pixar was before. movie? What about the Pixar movie? Like, What was that one called? No, Onward. Yeah, I didn't that see, one. I saw... No, Onward came out on Disney Plus. We watched it on Disney Plus later. Oh, see, I almost right. saw it in the theaters, but it was like during that week right before lockdown. And I was like calling my mom like, I don't know if this is a good idea. And she's like, don't go. And I'm like, all right, I'm not going to go. And maybe I didn't get COVID because of that. Oh, I could have gotten COVID if I had seen Emma and it would have been okay because it was such a delightful movie. <laughs> I probably would have been mad I mean, if I had gotten COVID because of Onward. No offense to Onward. Why isn't your stub list telling you? I don't know. It's basically when I go into history, I can see it's just not telling me any movies that I saw. And I deleted the app from my phone because I unsubscribed. Well, let me make it easier for you. What was the last uh, Rupert Everett movie you saw? <laughs> In theaters. <laughs> oh my god. It might have it might have been Shrek 2, honestly. Uh here we go. All right. Are you guys ready for the last movie that I saw before COVID? Yes. Let's hear it. It was The Gentleman with Hugh Grant and Matthew McConaughey. And Oh, uh, the like um action y one? Yes. Wait, and what? um wait, am I being gaslit right now? What is this? It was the Guy Ritchie mo- it was a Guy Ritchie movie. It was kind of like a action. You know, people shooting each other, double-crossing each other. Also bad British accents, by the way. Interesting. So just like a royal night out. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Was Henry Henry Golding Golding. in that one? Yeah, Yeah, Henry Golding was in it. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) That immediately, like, sparked the memory. (laughs) Like, forget Hugh Grant, Matthew McConaughey. They're in 15 movies a year, most of which, like, I, I don't take notice of. But, yeah, no, Henry Golding. Okay, yeah, I know exactly what movie you're talking about now. I feel like I missed the entire conversation you two were having about Princess Elizabeth. Oh, that's just, okay. Yeah, yeah, we were just saying that we didn't like that she didn't have like any characterization as a real person when this was like the time when they could have done that. She was so needy in this movie. She um, was, yeah. The fact that she just kept following around this random dude that she met on a bus once was just ridiculous to me. And I mean, I felt for her. Okay, so I felt for her a little bit, right? Because she's that friend that's like the designated driver at a party. Mm-hmm. And then all of her friends get wasted. Or I guess her, this, in this case, her one friend, Princess yeah. Margaret, just gets wasted. And then she has to be the person that's like, all right, we're going to get home now. <laughs> so I did feel sympathy for her in that way. But she was just written in a way that that didn't really carry the nuance that we've come to expect from Claire Foy. She did not seem like a constitutional scholar in this movie. <laughs> she didn't. She really did not. Did she have any particular skills? I mean, she could drive. Did, she could she drive talk about, really she, well. Yeah, she could drive. All right. She didn't get to drive. Why didn't she get to drive around London? Why wasn't there a carjacking scene where she got to drive? If you're going to just make stuff up, you should have done that. All right. So let, let's talk about some of the places where they went to along the way. So first stop on the tour was basically like a kind of fancy bar nightclub type establishment, right? The one Mm -hmm. that they'd heard about. Yeah, they go to the Curzon Club, which uh, they can't even get into, right? Uh, They have trouble, right? But uh, Margaret and her, uh, I mean, okay, we need to address this right away. Her her like, uh, what do we even call that guy? Everything that happened in the Margaret storyline was bizarre. Um, and upsetting this and upsetting this guy random navy officer it kind of reminded me of the way that we look at that picture now of the sailor kissing that woman in Times square where it's kind of like you know i get that you're happy but you can't just like do whatever you want now with whoever you want yeah but this also had him trying to drug her which like just made it a thousand times worse 
Yeah, I it, it kind of felt like Margaret was very strangely like a cautionary tale for like loose girls. <laughs> like, you know, they always have that character in like those teen romantic comedies or they used to at least like it felt like a very old fashioned trope that they were using with her that almost felt like this. It's very hard for me to be like, that's kind of disrespectful. <laughs> like it felt very like, wow, this is what you're going to do to to Princess Margaret. Like, I know she's, you know, she can't complain about it. But wow, guys, you know, you know what I was not expecting this movie to give us, though, and, and you know, may, maybe I'm a little off base by classifying it as such, but a surprisingly positive portrayal of sex work. Oh, yeah, that was interesting. Good for them. Yeah, we meet Lord Stan. I mean, Lord Stan, what a complex character. Um, obviously, he runs. He a needed brothel. his own movie. <laughs> <laughs> he runs a brothel. And he has just a huge bodyguard that loves to be... This has made me think of something else. The amount of fights that Jack got in in this movie was absolutely ridiculous. Like, Let's, let's yeah. not talk about Jack. Like, We, we, we <laughs> just hit like the, the, the Lord Stan note. Like, I'm, I, I like this vibe right now. Let, let's keep I'm going sorry. down this road. Sorry, talking about Lord Stan's bodyguard just reminded me of one of Jack's fights. But yeah, he's got this huge bodyguard... Kind of runs a sketchy brothel in Soho, which is, you know, not a neighborhood that you want to end up in uh, by all accounts in this movie. I mean, he goes out then to pimp out his workers uh, at the Chelsea Barracks party. It's a very interesting arc for Lord Stan. You forgot to mention, though, that he really loves the royal family. Oh, he and has a he, collection. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when he finds out that Princess Margaret is in his presence, he like he becomes very protective of her. Like he's going to make sure that nothing else bad happens to her the rest of the night, which like yet another really interesting turn in this movie. Okay. Straight up. I, as I have mentioned to you guys, I watched this movie while like dealing with COVID vaccine side effects. So like I, this part got really warped for me. <laughs> I wasn't sure if like Stan had recognized her or if he thought that she was a, courtesan like dressed as margaret and that was like her shtick she that, announced that was, who she was yeah yeah like, she revealed it to well, him i was so confused about why she ended up in the car with the other prostitutes and at first i was like wait did he think she was a prostitute dressed up as princess margaret like that definitely crossed my mind no 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 at, she was at safe. that point at that point he knew that she was princess margaret and that she wanted to go to chelsea barracks but speaking of that scene in the car I found that scene to be a little bit uncomfortable and weird because like the purpose of Margaret in that scene is to kind of be this joke about like how she's saying things and then all the sex workers are misinterpreting that as like all of the things that she's done yeah. um, mm -hmm. that particular night. I just thought that was a weird look. I didn't like it. I mean, yeah, wasn't she supposed to be like 15? Yeah. I don't understand why he didn't just send her home. Well, because I think wait, she had I the password to get into Chelsea Barracks, right? So Stan was yeah, I guess so. Stan was capitalizing on the opportunity to take some of his ladies to the party at Chelsea Barracks, so it can become oh, a lucrative yeah, yeah. night for his business. Uh, you were true. you were drugged during this part, Carlin. That's why you don't remember. That's actually true. My goodness, Lord Stan. So yeah, Chelsea Barracks, the other setting that we get in this movie, and. Probably the least secure barracks that we've ever seen. If Jack can just climb in through the bathroom window. Yeah. I will say, okay, so like this movie was at times very dull and frustrating, but it was just so unrelenting and, and such a sensory assault. Like there was just so much noise and so many people in every single scene. Like this, this did not seem like a cheap movie. Like there were just an overabundance of extras that they had to, uh, you know, hire for this film to fill out all those scenes. And it, it just became like really overwhelming to watch at times, especially since they were just zipping around between one major party to the next. But it like really seemed like every single party they went to, like would have been a completely acceptable place for them to just spend the rest of the evening. Like even, even at the Ritz, like before they got like sequestered into that room with all of like the stuffy old people, it seemed like there was like a pretty nice party happening there. Like why didn't they just stay there? Like I know obviously Margaret, you know, got, got lured away, but I, I don't get why they were so underwhelmed by all of the individual offerings that were presented. It's like any one of those parties, you could have just ended your night there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just 
like when I was, you know, you start looking at it from like the perspective of like, okay, if I was in this situation, 100% would have stayed at one of those parties. Maybe they're just trying to, you know, Margaret's a, a wanderer. She wants to check out every single scene. And I don't know, like, if it was supposed to be like, you know, like one of those movies where they kind of do like a love letter to like London or whatever city it is where they try to show you like as many spots as possible. I guess that's what they were doing, but it almost, it didn't feel like there was a secure enough sense of setting because there was so many people that you're so focused on all the people rather than like, oh, you know, this is Soho or this is whatever this different location is around London. Well, Carlin, let me go ahead and just shatter the illusion of like the the fictional pretense of this movie uh, that Sam and I have already uncovered. So this little snippet in the Wikipedia page for this film titled Relation to Actual Events specifies in, in two sentences, the two officer escorts and the airmen in the screenplay were fictional creations. In reality, the princesses in an organized group of 16 went out at 10 p.m. to mingle with revelers and returned to Buckingham Palace at 1 a.m. I bet they stayed at the Ritz the whole time. Exactly. (laughs) Which was probably fine. It was probably like a really fun way to spend their evening. Yeah. Like every single party in this movie looked better than any party I've ever been to. For sure. Can we talk about the love story specifically and how we felt about it? Because it was weird for me seeing Queen Elizabeth with somebody not named Prince Philip. It was just weird. I I just, I couldn't get over it. But Prince Philip was there, like in the background. Like she was already kind of like involved with him slash promised to him slash he was promised to her. Like there was already like a connection there. And she even admitted that she was kind of straying away from that to be like entertaining the notion of a romance with Jack. So here's my problem with that. In The Crown... Elizabeth says that uh, she's only ever loved Philip. Yes. So, I couldn't get uh, over that either. <laughs> where's her devotion? Like, was that a I don't think that was a lie. I know it's Wait. like two different. Do you remember that? Yeah. But Carlin, do you, do you consider what happened between Elizabeth and Jack to be love? But like, if if I was so in love with someone that I would call them the only love I've ever had, I would not be straying because of some like soldier boy. But this was like before she really fell in love with Philip. Well, we she hadn't even really that. Ex- she hadn't really experienced love at this point. Like this was kind of a fling, but it didn't blossom into anything deeper. Well, I I don't know. I just think that there's just this feeling of like you don't understand at what point in the courtship that they were, because I feel like if I would believe it, if it was like oh yeah, like my you know parents want me to talk to this Greek guy, if it was at that level, but like. It just, it felt very strange, I think in general, just to see Elizabeth with normal people to start. And then, yeah, just any other romance. I don't know. You know, it just given like uh, this, like the spectrum of like different cast members that we've seen in this movie and what else we've seen them in, I guarantee you, if Philip were in this movie, he would be played by like some obscure Gryffindor from the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Yeah, I I, don't, I guess for me, I just didn't feel like we needed the love story thrown on top of it all. I just don't know that it added anything to either the movie or just like our general perception of Queen Elizabeth. It sound it this was just somebody's like random fan fiction of oh, imagine Queen Elizabeth one time had like eyes for somebody else, and it was just a random normal person. And and having said that, did we like it? The romance? Not not really. No, the movie, just oh. in general. I thought it was fine. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm a little bit... Okay, so it was definitely better than Hyde Park on Hudson. Yeah. I think one thing we said last time, we, we noted the Rotten, Tomato score, uh, Rotten Tomatoes scores, and this had a 74%, and Hyde Park on Hudson had a 37%. I don't think it was twice as good as Hyde Park on Hudson. I think it was maybe slightly better than Hyde Park on Hudson. And I think here's my main thought about this movie. I find it weird that people are writing fan fiction about Queen Elizabeth and just projecting the sense that Queen Elizabeth is unhappy, like so, 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 so unhappy, you know, in her royal duties. Because... In my view, there has to be a part of her that enjoys it, right? Otherwise, why would she continue to be doing it? Like, she's well past the age, I feel like, where she could take a step back and let Charles step in and do something. 
But even into her late 90s, she's like, no, I'm still doing this. So there has to be a part of her that likes it. Or she just hates Charles. <laughs> like, she doesn't <laughs> trust him that much. But, yeah, I don't know. I think she definitely seems like, at the very least, she is so devoted to her duty that it does feel slightly weird. I don't know. It's Because I also don't feel like I have a good grasp on her as a teenager. Because, again, I don't feel like this movie gave me much about, like, her motivations or her inner thoughts or her inner like world enough to really have this add to like the larger canon of like what we perceive of Elizabeth as a character in TV film. Yeah, I think it the main the main thing is just for me that scene at the end where she and Jack are in the van and they're just imagining what their life would be like in Paris. If they were just two normal people, well, I guess Jack is a normal person. Well, no, I guess he can't (laughs) go to Paris because of the whole military thing. But like if they were two random people, not in the military, not in the royal family, they could just move to Paris and be normal people. I'm just, I don't know why they, why the director, the writers put this scene in there for us. They were trying to tap into something profound there, but it just made me go, oh, spare me. Like this, this was not the movie to be like, tackling like elizabeth's existential crisis about whether she wanted like her predestined life versus one where she had more agency it's like we we don't have we don't have time to talk about that like in this in the context of this movie there's just nothing to really like feed off of there yeah either way it's clearly not specific enough for elizabeth because they have made it very clear that if she had a normal life she would just be breeding horses so like i i genuinely think that's what she would be doing so it, it didn't even fit. It, they didn't do their research. <laughs> she would not go to Paris. That's like a Margaret thing. So like in, in closing, I think I can say with some degree of confidence that even though the royal family, I understand, has a somewhat complicated relationship with the crown, like they supposedly have seen some of it, definitely not all. They disagree with some of the depictions. There are some events that they have just like outright disavowed as being completely unfactual. I feel like both uh, Olivia Coleman and um, uh, Claire Foy, despite all that, probably have a very reasonable shot at one day meeting the, the queen, at, you know, if she's still around for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Sarah Gaddon is not getting that invite. Probably not. No. And someone teach Elizabeth how to make a cup of tea. I've never so much as made a cup of blooming tea for myself. God. Wait. I feel like we've seen her. Well, like, what is, like, making tea? Like, just boiling the water? Like, we've seen her serve tea. I, I mean, is like there another li- step? <laughs> but, like, when she lived in Malta, you're going to tell me she never had to make a single cup of tea? Like, I I guess, but... Yeah, there, there's too many gaps. I, I need a sequel. <laughs> just Elizabeth making tea. <laughs> do we tea. need a sequel, though? <laughs> See, I would oh, watch man. a movie of Elizabeth having to do, like, normal people stuff whenever she had to do that in her life. This was the opportunity to tell that story. They didn't. They gave us this no. instead. No, right. yep. Before we dive into the Kinky Crown Awards for this movie, uh, because this movie is on YouTube, we have a new one-minute segment, which is what is our favorite YouTube comment about this movie? I think mine is, I can only pray that the queen herself gets to see this and loves it even more than I did. So beautiful. Oh my God. I. That's my favorite. <laughs> That's my favorite YouTube comment so about positive. this movie. positive. I was expecting at least one hate comment. and it didn't... I know. Are these bots? Like, <laughs> are these all bots liking this movie? I feel like they're just old people. <laughs> you think old people went on YouTube and watched a royal night out? Yeah. Like, they these know two they... things don't Yes. Cor- they, they know they how to correspond. use YouTube now. It's like middle-aged <laughs> people. Because young who. Ask someone who is in Gen Z if they have seen this movie. Oh my god, <laughs> I see that comment. Uh, okay, uh, I wasn't prepared for this, but I just dug it up. Um, so I think the f- the best comment I'm seeing so far is more films like this would be most appreciated left by a YouTube commenter who simply goes by share. I have a comment that says the soundtrack on this is amazing. Totally deserves an Oscar or an award of some kind. I have no none of it was original music. Of the sound- <laughs> Yeah, I don't. The only song I remember was "In the Mood." Like, I don't remember the soundtrack really. Yeah. Okay. So good. I found one that says, "What a lovely movie! I truly enjoyed it. How wonderful life was without Facebook, Twitter, technology, etc. A secret was a secret back then. Um, sparkly heart, and that's why you know there are boomers or Gen X watching (laughs) this video." (laughs) 
Oh, here we go. Five months ago, James Elmore, right up there with Miss Pettigrew lives for a day. Charming caper, real laughs, happy ending. I mean, I love how you're calling these people out. Like, oh, I mean, they decided to put their names on these comments. Like, why not? What happened to YouTube when you had a really bad username? That's not your name. Like these people in their non anonymity. How dare! Uh, wait. Somebody just put this is true. Second time I've watched this movie. Okay, so this is on like a clip of the like her saying like I'm Princess Elizabeth, and so it's this person saying, well, at least the 15 year old who danced with the future queen had finally found vindication. No one believed his story until the film came out. LOL. He was 85 when his family finally took his story seriously. <laughs> Okay, I just found a comment uh, from six months ago that has not a single like, which all the other comments do. It's from somebody who goes by The Pro, and they write, This movie may benefit young girls who want to explore. Regardless of your rank, things can happen fast when drinking, and the nightlife of parties is in full swing. It's good to be in the know on what to stay clear of. It must be rough being a royal to have your life mapped out. I respect that. <laughs> I'm seeing multiple comments connecting this movie, like comparing this movie to Audrey Hepburn's Roman Holiday. Oh my God. Incredible. I'm wondering, did we see the right movie? <laughs> my mom um, was actually watching it with me and she is a boomer. And she said that this was very silly and did not happen. Didn't not, She did not think it was <laughs> Just this one comment that says, what even was that? This is all caps, by the way. What even was that kiss? Exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, exclamation point. I was waiting for it the entire movie, and they just, ah. Bro, do you know that Jack's not real? All right, but yeah, we can. So hold on, crown hold on. One more, one more. Uh, okay. Uh, from okay. Uh, comment also no likes, no dislikes either. One huge inaccuracy in the film is how the crowds were dressed. Watch the real footage of VE Day. You'll see much more clothing and much less skin. I guess that the film was made for the viewers of 2015. Oof! See, I told you it's old people because <laughs> they remember. Because <laughs> they're scandalized by the idea that people in the 40s would actually show skin when they're partying. This one that I found is really strange because it says great movie, GR8, broccoli emoji, three heart eyes emoji, <laughs> and then the emoji of the face with the hearts around it. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, okay, went from Wendy Garcia. Uh, According to President Obama, her majesty really does drive like a bat out of hell. Is wow. this like a firsthand account? From the- <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Huh. Okay, okay. No, okay. This is this is an innocent enough comment to end on, especially knowing what we know. I hope she remembers Jack. Oh. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Amazing. All right. I think that's a perfect segue to the Kinky Crown Award. Yeah. Carlin, what do you have for the Kinky Crown Award this week? Okay, so first of all, I didn't put who said anything next to my quotes that I picked out. So I to some extent, I don't even know what I wrote, but I <laughs> there's always a classic moment where like it, they, someone discovers who Elizabeth is, like they know they're talking to it like a monarch, and they just go, "Are you gonna command me?" And that was Jack when <laughs> when he found out that like Elizabeth was Elizabeth, like she just can't escape that. So I, I did enjoy that. And then I had another one, but again, I didn't write down who said it, but someone said, "Have you seen much action?" And I'm like. That's just going to be a mystery among the um, fever <laughs> dreams and whatever else I was on while watching this. So y'all, yeah, y'all do your even, boards. I don't even remember that specifically, but I believe that it happened. <laughs> With who? Who knows? Yeah. Ivan, what about you? What do you have? Oh, man. Surprisingly, it was kind of tough to... I mean, there, th- th- this was a very like kind of hyper-sexualized movie, but, you know... Not not always in like the most positive way. Yeah, no, we don't want to throw in any of the like, yeah, you know, any of Which, that. That's not fun. Like that stuff was like, yeah, it was too overt and yeah, not 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 fun. Um, yeah, I I guess I'll just go with those stupid chaperones and their orgy. <laughs> 
classic. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. What, what were their names? Burridge and Price. The, yeah. the Burridge and Price orgy at the Ritz. Yep. All right. Um, I obviously have the sneaky airport kiss. Mm-hmm. Oh, at the party, there's this old lady who's trying to play matchmaker for her grandnephew. So I kind of just imagine the grandnephew just sends his old lady aunt out to just be his matchmaker mm-hmm. at these events. There was Liz sticking her boobs right into Jack's face on the bus as she was trying to like communicate with Margaret on the other bus. Mm-hmm. And then there's Jack sneaking into the men's room through the window. Oh, wow, we're nice. really reaching here. <laughs> we are really reaching here. Carlin, where, where are you going on this one? Um, I mean, I do like Jack in the men's room, even if we do have to like be pushing it there. Like the orgy is the most obvious one. I don't know which way to go this week. Carlin, if you stick with your original nomination... I'll back you up on it. Okay, I'll stick with my original nomination. Are Wait, you which gonna, was again? Are you going to command me, Jack, okay. to Elizabeth? Yeah, that's my vote. All right, congratulations to fictional character Jack. <laughs> <laughs> you have won the Kinky Crown Award for this movie, Julian Gerald's A Royal Night Out. Um, anything else to talk about with this movie, or have we have we fully, you know, Royal Night Outed? I, I think we covered it. Uh, okay, I, I, I will say one more thing since we brought up uh, Hyde Park on Hudson uh, a little bit ago and how talking about how, no, this movie was not twice as good as Hyde Park on Hudson, but it was definitely an uptick. I actually don't know that I fully agree with that. I feel like I have already purposefully forgotten a lot of this movie, whereas like with Hyde Park on Hudson, even though a lot of it was very dull and all over the place, there are like maybe one, two, maybe even three scenes from that movie that I kind of like latch on to and, and think like, OK, there was like, you know, uh, like a gem in there somewhere in, in the midst of all of like the, the disorder and chaos. Whereas like with this movie, I'm just ready to put it behind me forever. Yeah, but Ivan, just because you remember a movie doesn't make it a good movie. <laughs> like I remember every scene. No, I'm, from not, the I'm room not saying I, I, I'm not. <laughs> that, that's not the bar here. The bar here is like there there were scenes from Hyde Park. Uh, on Hudson that I really liked like you know the scene you know late at night when um when Birdie and FDR were you know commiserating and like you know little little things like that that kind of honed in on that midsection of the movie that I actually enjoyed for a second like there were like a couple of things in Hyde Park on Hudson I'm like yeah more of this and you've got a good movie there was nothing like that here so you actually you're saying you like Hyde Park on Hudson more than this movie I will say that Hyde Park on Hudson at its highs was better than any of the highs that this movie hit. Like there was no, there was no like hot dog eating scene in this movie. There's nothing that I'm like, Oh, this is so delightful. I love watching this. There's nothing like that here. There was also no Daisy in this movie. So that immediately makes it much better. (laughs) Touche. Okay. On that note. (laughs) All right. So I think that should take us to uh, a conclusion here on a Royal Night Out, our recap of A Royal Night Out. Um, we're going to be taking a break for a couple of weeks before we dive into season two just to get all of our ducks in a row, make sure that we have the best uh, podcasts available to you. But uh, in the meantime, Ivan, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Does anybody remember ZoogDisney.com? No. I mean, I don't personally. Zoog I don't Wait, either. Wait, oh my, okay, let's do this. Okay, so (laughs) back in like the late 90s, early aughts on the Disney Channel, the entire channel was like branded as Zoog Disney, which really leaned into uh, uh, like, this idea of like engaging viewers through the internet, you went to zoogdisney.com. They had flash games, they had like mini sites for all your favorite shows and movies. And uh, there was like this whole idea that like, yeah, you watch the Disney Channel, but then when you're not watching, you go to ZoogDisney.com and they even use like the the slogan, it's always on. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, friend me on ZoogDisney.com if you can find out what my username was and then please <laughs> remind me. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to talk to uh, Marissa about this because I feel like if anybody is familiar with Zoog Disney, it's... Uh, a Lizzie McGuire era Marissa. Yes, I, I mean uh, Lizzie McGuire definitely aired like during the later years of the Zoog Disney branding. So I'm sure Marissa will will have something to say about it. Carlin, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Um, Twitter at Carlin Greenwald, Instagram at Carlin underscore G E E. 
All right, and I am at Sir Sam Chung, but the best place to reach us for all of the latest news on Crowning Around is on Twitter at Pod. That's where we'll be posting updates on when we're going to start our recap of season two because, you know, we're done now with our mid-season content. And next is season two. Is Anthony Eden still alive? (laughs) Who knows? We're going to find out hopefully all the answers to these questions coming up in season two. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. And God save the queen. God save the queen. God save the queen. (laughs) 